One of my favourite school trips growing up uh, in West Wales was actually local to here. Uh, if you look up over the, on the Blorridge, you can't quite see where I went, but it was on the other side. Can you guess where it was? Where would a schoolboy in Wales go for a day trip? Big pit. Big pit. It was a great day out. Uh, you got to go and see a mine. It was uh, no longer working, but you could go down into the mine. You went up on this rugged mountain in what seemed like the middle of nowhere uh, to us, and you saw this big red wheel and the housing, and you go in, and they make you take things off, and then they make you put your helmet on and the lamp, and then you go into this big kind of uh, lift with big gates and down you go with these uh, miners and when you went down you were nervous at the start but after two three four five ten fifteen twenty minutes of walking around and laughing with your friends you start to feel very safe it's a wonderful experience there you are underground learning all about mining in wales and you start to feel great in fact you start to think i could be a miner I could walk around down here, I could go down into a mine and I would be fine. And then about halfway through that trip, they always do the same thing, don't they? They go down, you're in the mine, you're all feeling safe, there's light everywhere, and then they say, let's turn off our lamps. And it's completely pitch black. Straight away you feel cold. Straight away you can hear the drips. Straight away you can hear every creak. And straight away you're scared stiff. Turn the lights on! Turn the lights on! The light comes back. Ah, we're fine. We're fine. You know, when you go down into Big Pit and you go through that experience, it teaches you two lessons. Number one. It's possible to go from security to fear in seconds. It's possible to go from security to fear in seconds, as soon as the light goes. Fear. But the second thing it teaches you is that it's also possible to have false security. To be down in a mine, down in the depths, and start to realise it, or start to think that you're safe because of you. That it's your light, your ability, you're down there. And actually forget that it's the miner who's looking after you, it's the lamp that's keeping you in the light, and it's the cage that gets you up and down. Actually, there's someone up on the surface who's gonna be winding that gear up for you. It's possible to feel secure in and of yourself and think you are the reason for being safe. Now, here's a question for you this evening. Do you feel desperate and in fear or secure and safe or let me craft it slightly differently do you feel desperate for God like if you don't have him you don't have anything or do you feel look at me I'm okay I'm doing well this is good my life is good look at the life I have built for myself Are you living in desperation or security you know those Two different feelings, although completely different, can be flipped in a second. Can be flipped in a second. You can go from having cash and career to having cancer and crying overnight. You can go from having status and security to living in slander and sadness. Just like that. And you can go from having family and friends to loss and loneliness. Seemingly overnight. 
As David puts it in this Psalm twice, verse five, you can go from weeping in the night to rejoicing in the morning. There can be a complete transformation the other way. And verse 11, you can go from wailing to dancing. Now I wanna walk through this Psalm. I've only got two points because I think the Psalm comes in two halves. So I wanna walk through the Psalm and look at these two halves separately. Now the first half, the first point is verses one to five where we see desperation and deliverance. Desperation and deliverance. Now one of the things I love about the Psalms and I always tell you is this, they are honest and therefore helpful. The Psalms look at every situation and every struggle of the human heart and experience. And so there is a Psalm and an expression within the Psalms that is suitable and just right for every experience we can go through, even our inner struggles. But the Psalms not only describe what we're going through and give us empathy, but actually the Psalms help us to see how to turn those experiences into expressions of praise, how to go from struggles to singing, how to go from pain to praise. And so verse one starts with a huge statement, doesn't it? I will exalt you, Lord. I will exalt you, Lord. Here is a hymn of praise. Here is a song of praise. It's a song of David. It's meant to be sung. As a church, we're meant to sing these things. And then he says, why will I exalt you, Lord? Very simply, verse one, because you lifted me out of the depths. You lifted me out of the depths. God has rescued us. Now that idea of lifting us in verse one, actually uh, the kind of language and the image there is of a bucket in a well, of a bucket in a well, or uh, for my illustration, um, the cage, the lift down in a mine being pulled up by the winding gear. The idea is that David at some point in his life was in such a bad condition, he was like, down in a pit, in a well, and a bucket in the well. But what did God do? He got the winding gear. God brought him up. He lifted him out of the well. And you know, sometimes in life we get into difficult situations. We fall into holes. You might be in a hole now. It could be a financial one, physical, emotional, relational, moral, spiritual. We can financially fall into debt, and when we fall into debt, no matter what we do, just gets us further and further and further into debt. Or we can get behind in work, and no matter what we do, we can never get back ahead in work, and it compounds. Or we can look at something immoral or get into something immoral, and once it's in there, we seem to be snared by Satan. And in those situations, and in that situation that you might be in this evening, you feel like a bucket. There you are at the bottom of the well, and there's no way out. Our ability to get out of some situations is about as likely as a bucket pulling itself out of a well. And sometimes, often, those situations are of our own making and our own sin. We see it there in verse five, don't we? When in verse five, he digs down and he says, for his anger lasts only a moment. Why he's got angry? Because this particular pit that David is in here 
is down to his own sin. That doesn't mean that all pits are down to our own sin. I don't think all illnesses are down to our sinfulness at all. We see the Lord Jesus clear on that. Sometimes our financial pits aren't down to our own sinfulness. We may have been conned. We may have been taken advantage of. I don't think our relational pits are all down to us. Sometimes someone may have cheated on us or someone may have abused us. So there are times when we can be in a pit which is not of our own doing, but there can be times when we're in some pits and it is of our own doing. I wonder, perhaps you're in a pit at the moment, a financial, emotional, spiritual, physical, moral, relational pit at the moment, and deep down you know, you know you spent too much, you know you didn't love that person enough. You know you didn't help out in that enough. You know that you took that second glance and that you sent that invitation to meet up. You know, you know that you're in a pit and it's your fault. And, and what we tend to do in those moments is default into the situation of, this is my mess, I've made my mess, I will sort my mess out because God won't help me, because God won't help me. I wonder, is that you? Are you in a pit? Are you stuck? Do you think that you have to save yourself? You're trying to pull yourself out of a pit. Perhaps even verse one, right at the end, you feel like your enemies are going to gloat over you. You're scared stiff of people finding out the pit you're in because they'll say, ah, I told you so. Ah, I knew it would. Ah, there we are. Typical, isn't it? Do you worry? Do you worry about how people see your pit? How people see your struggle, that God is in heaven and he won't help you because it's your fault. And people around you are just waiting to find out so they can gloat. Ah, I knew he was no good. Ah, I knew it was her fault. It's a terrible thing to be in a pit. It's a terrible thing to be down and stuck. Often we don't go for help because we think no one wants to help us. I'm here, it's my fault. I need to deal with this. But there's amazing news, isn't it? He's saying, I will exalt the Lord. Why will he exalt the Lord? Because the Lord lifted me out of the depths. How did he do it? Verse two, he said, Lord, my God, I call to you for help and you healed me. Here's the wonderful news. God is never far away. Do you know how far away God is? God is a cry away. God is a cry away. Do you know what? Whenever we call out, God is there. You know, a child growing up in a home, going into their own room, perhaps away from their parents, away from their mother. They might be in another room and that room seems like a world away. A little baby's room from his parents or her parents' room seems like a world away. Mum and dad are miles away. I'm in this big bed, in this big room, all alone. But how far are mum and dad? How far is the mother? Surely just a cry away just a cry away. What loving parent, when a baby cries, would not go to them, would not be with them? I can still remember vividly as a child being in bed and being ill and worrying that I'm not going to see my mother until the next day and crying and next thing hearing footsteps come around and the door open and mam was there. Why? She was only a cry away. If you're in a pit, where is God? Even if you're in a pit of your own making, where is God? He's only a cry away. He's only a cry away. And what does he do? Verse 2, he brings healing. 
Now, it looks as if David had somehow got into a sickness of his own accord. Again, not all sicknesses are down to your own sin. We need to be clear on that. But it is possible to make yourself ill through your own life. So if you gorge and eat too much, you can uh, affect your health. If you drink too much, you can affect your health. If you don't look after your body, you can affect your health. That can happen. And God can bring healing. But it's not just physical illness. It could be um, emotional or, or relational but more importantly, it could be spiritual. It could be that actually we've damaged our relationship with God. You know, if you're watching this this evening and you're not yet a Christian, I want you to realise there's a sense in which we're all in the pit. There's a sense in which we've all gone away from God. There's a sense in which we've all tried to make life our own and we are now stuck. But the amazing news of the gospel is actually that Jesus came out of heaven onto earth. That is, he left up there to come down into our pit, to become one of us. He literally came into the world to come and rescue buckets like me. Broken buckets that can't hold water. He came down and he lifted me up out of the pit by living my life, dying in my place and rising from the dead. You know, the good news of Christianity is whatever pit we're in and however we got there, God loves us and he hears us. And to become a Christian, we need to cry out and admit we're in the pit, admit that we're, we're away from God and we can't save ourselves and realise that Jesus has come to save us. And you know what? When we cry out to him, oh, Father, look at what I've done, where I am. But Jesus, Jesus will rescue me. He will. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, will be saved. You cry out to him and your heavenly father hears you and you are his. You are rescued. You are saved. You're given a new life. And look at verse 3. He says, You, Lord, brought me up from the realm of the dead. You spared me from going down to the pit. God will give you life and eternal life. Do you know that's on offer for you tonight? If you trust in Christ, he will give you eternal life. And, and Christians, as you watch this, we need to understand that, yes, we have been lifted out of the pit. Yes, we have been given a new life. But, oh, how easy is it to go back into the pit? How easy is it to go back, down, away from God, in danger, in struggle, in sin, in suffering, in mess? Oh, it's so easy, isn't it? It's so easy, We're like a dog who returns to its vomit. But even for us, God is but a cry away. We are his, adopted into his family, and he is our loving father, and he hears our cry. We need to learn when we're in the pit, whether it's our fault or not, we need to learn to cry out. And so, what does he do? Listen to how he responds. He not only starts in verse 1, I will exalt the Lord. I've been saved. He's come into the pit. He saved me. Woohoo! I will exalt him. In verse 4, he turns around and says, Sing the praises of the Lord, you his faithful people. Praise his holy name. You know, his experience of grace and being saved turns him into someone who will edify others. 
you should sing too. Look at what he's done. Isn't it amazing? Sometimes when someone is saved from something, they always want to tell everybody. Why? Because they're rejoicing. It's great news. We too, as Christians, need to share with other Christians. Come on, guys, let's sing. Jesus has saved us. But it's not just edifying other Christians, it's evangelistic. I think one of the most potent, powerful means of evangelism is not us arguing about certain things in the Bible, but rather telling people, look at what Jesus has done. Look at how he saved me. Look at how he has rescued me. And then he gives us this beautiful explanation. He says, so sing with me, verse 4, sing with me. And then he says, because he's holy. And verse 5, listen to this. For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favour lasts a lifetime. Woo! Listen to that. That is massive about God. His anger lasts only a moment, but his favour lasts a lifetime. I think most of us think the other way around. Most of us think God's favour lasts a moment and then we blow it and his anger lasts a lifetime. Oh, no, 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 no. The Bible says... For the believer, his anger lasts a moment. His favour, his love, his grace, his goodness, his mercy, his, his fatherhood, it lasts a lifetime. Whatever trouble you're in, whatever stupid thing you've done, cry out to him. His anger lasts but a moment, but his favour, his love, his mercy lasts a lifetime. I wonder how many of us are in a pit and we're missing out on God's mercy because we simply will not cry out. Cry out to him. Cry out to him. Confess your sins to him. Let that anger come, but it lasts but a moment. And his favour lasts a lifetime. Do you know, you may be, as he says here halfway through verse 5, you may be weeping through the night. But you know what? For the believer, the morning always comes and there's always rejoicing. Your weeping situation may last for a night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. I wonder, will you let the Lord give you that rejoicing? Will you let the Lord lift you up out of the pit? Now, there's a sense in which I could stop the sermon here. Verses 1 to 5 is quite a great, kind of sermon isn't it where in the pit we cry out God saves us his mercy lasts a lifetime boom sermon done John you did it in 15 minutes well done if only you could do that every week but we're only in verse 5 so what's the rest of the psalm about well now we need to go and see that actually even in God's goodness and grace even though he saves us and and even though he brings us out to the pit Actually, when he saves us, when he brings us out of the pit, when he makes us a people who are in his love and grace, actually, even there, there is danger. Even there, there is danger. And we see it in verse 6. So have a look with me at verse 6 and, and consider it. This is what he says, verse 6. When I felt secure, I said, I shall never be shaken. Now, what do you think of that verse? When I felt secure, I said... I shall never be shaken. Now, we haven't really considered the introduction to the psalm. So go back up to the introduction to the psalm. And what does it say in the psalm 30? It says this, a psalm, a song. Okay, so it needs to be sung. For the dedication of the temple of David. Now, a couple of confusions here. Firstly, 
David wasn't there at the dedication of the temple. It was his son Solomon that built the temple. So this can't be something that David did at the dedication of the temple. Now, it could be that David wrote it prophetically or in lieu of ready for his son to build the temple, perhaps. But actually, temple, some of you in your Bibles don't have temple, but house, because the temple was the house of God. Some people say, well, okay, maybe it wasn't the, the temple, maybe it was the tabernacle, the house of God pre-temple. Could be the tabernacle, David was there at the tabernacle, so it could be something of a dedication service at some point in the tabernacle. It could be that, but it could just simply be house. It could just simply be at the dedication of his house, that David just built the house, and this is the psalm for building the house. And I think commentators disagree on this, and there's lots of different theories out there. I don't think it's a hill to die on. But I do wonder whether this is a psalm for when David builds his house, when David has his home, when David gets comfortable, when David gets what many people have commentated as complacent. Complacent. That's really the sound of verse 6, isn't it? Verse 6 is very different from verse 1. Verse 1 is, I was desperate, but God saved me. Verse 6 is, I feel secure. I shall not be shaken. What's going on? Well, you see, secondly, what we're seeing here in verse 6 to 12 in the second half, the second thing we're seeing is not desperation and deliverance, but security and sackcloth, or self-security and sackcloth. You see, I think what's happening in verse 6 is David is making confession. David is making a confession of his complacency and the danger it causes. See, verse 6 is self-security, self assurance self 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 i felt secure i shall never be shaken when you read through the psalm it's phenomenal in nearly every verse it talks about the lord and what he has done and then you come to verse six i feel secure i shall not be shaken you see what's happened here is he's forgotten that it's god who's given him the house it's God who's given him the peace. It's God who has saved him. You see, what does he do? Verse 7, he said, Lord, when you favoured me, you made my royal mountain stand firm. You see, I think he's forgotten in verse 6 that God made his royal mountain stand firm. He's built his house. Look at my house. So when he forgets that, what does God do? Verse 7, but you hid your face. I was dismayed. Let me take you to a couple of my favourite older commentators on this. So Plummer, a big banner of truth commentary. Plummer says this, the carnal mind naturally and easily perverts even a little prosperity to, engendering of, to the engendering of pride and self-sufficiency, forgetfulness of God and practical atheism. So what Plummer says is, David's doing well. He's built a house. He's having a time of prosperity. His holy hill is strong. And David's going, ho, ho, look at me. Look at my land. Look at my house. Look at what I've done. I am secure. I will not be shaken. Do you know, it's interesting, isn't it? He thinks it is my royal mountain. You know, we love the word my, don't we? Come on, let's be honest. I love to have a sentence with the word my in. This is my fitness, my hard work, my savings, my house, my career, my family, 
my, my, my. Look at what I have done. Look at what I have made. Look at what I have earned. Henry Law, another older commentator, says that what happened to David is this. Sleeping in the lap of ease, he forgot his true support. Sleeping in the lap of ease, he forgot his true support. Brothers, sisters, friends, can I say, this could be the perennial sin of Abergavenny. We are a place of ease. We are a place of success. We are generally quite affluent. And so because of that, there is a sense that in Abergavenny and in our area, we tend to think that we have what we deserve. And that is good. We have what we deserve because we have worked hard. We have what we deserve because we have been smart. We have what we deserve because we're better than those poor people who didn't work as hard. And so we feel that our security is earned. Our satisfaction is earned. Our wealth is earned. Our well-being is earned. Our church growth is earned. Our church children's works growth is earned. Deep down, I don't think we need God. Deep down, I really don't think we believe that God has given us all our good things. I know we say every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above, but deep down, I think, we think, that every good and perfect gift comes from our hard work. You don't like me at the moment, do you? You're not happy with what I'm saying. But John, I have worked hard. But John, I am smarter. But they, those people, poor people, you know, they've made those, you know, look at the size of their TV, John. Come on now, I've worked hard. You have no idea how many hours do I I'll tell you all the hours I do. You think you work hard, good boy. I'll show you what working hard is. Ba 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 ba. Self, self, self. My, my, my. You hate the fact that I have said that what you have is God's. You genuinely believe it's yours. Are you saying? that you work harder and that you are more godly than people living in war-torn, ravaged parts of the world or Christians who are highly, highly, highly educated and qualified in medicine but live in persecuted countries and so have to clean sewers and hide for their lives. You are better than them, are you? Or for Christians living in places where there is no food and there is no water in certain African countries. Oh, you're better than them because you work harder and you're more godly. No. Everything we have, everything I have, everything you have is a gift of God. The problem is you believe your own hype. You believe your own hype. This is my, my royal hill. I feel secure. I will not be shaken. Oh, Lord, thank you, yes. <laughs> but it's mine. We need to be careful. David is saying, be careful. Confess. Don't think that your lovely, comfortable pillow is all of yours. Let me ask you a question. Do you genuinely thank God for your food? Do you genuinely thank God for your pension? 
Do you genuinely thank God for your family? Do you genuinely thank God for church growth? Deep down, I think we believe these are all prizes of our ability and worth. But let me be clear, what you're feeling at the moment doesn't last forever. It doesn't last forever. Let's go back down into a mine. This time, let's go down to a copper mine. Um, I've become addicted to a YouTuber who goes down into mines in mid Wales, mines that have been closed since the mid to late 1800s. And uh, when he goes to discover these mines, he takes people down uh, with him, fellow uh, people who are interested in all of these things. And when he goes down with them, um, he's the one that knows the way. He understands these mines, he's got all the maps that he's mapped out and he's got the lights. But you see people going down with him feeling super hyper confident because they're with him. And how hard is going down a mine? It seems pretty easy. But can you imagine if they started to think, yeah, I know my way around, I'm fine, and they go off in the mine to the left and then to the right and then up and then down, and then they start to look, do you know what? They would get really dangerous, really, really, really dangerous. So can you imagine if the YouTuber down that mine just turned off the lights, turned off the lights, to remind them of how dark it is, how dangerous it is, of how they are running ahead of him. He might have to do that to bring them back. And the Lord sometimes does that with us. Sometimes the Lord turns off the light, hides his face, takes away the comfort, takes the pillow away. Sometimes we need to be waken up. We need to be shaken because we feel secure in ourselves. And actually we are in a pit and we don't even realizing it. I think verse seven is terrifying, isn't it? When you hid your face, I was dismayed. Brothers, sisters, if we trust in ourselves and in our self-security, the Lord may hide his face. That doesn't mean that we won't be saved. That doesn't mean that he doesn't love us. We're not talking about the union that we have in Christ being taken away. But as I often say, our sense of communion, enjoying the presence of God, can definitely be taken away. We need to be aware of that. The Lord sometimes, when we're self-assured and complacent, may take away his blessings so that we trust in him. This is what Henry Law says again, come back to Henry Law. The Lord in mercy shook the, the pillow of carnal security and trouble brought him to his right mind. The Father does this so that we trust him. And I have seen this happen in illnesses, in job loss, in relationship breakdowns, and in church splits and shrinks. Brothers, sisters, let's not trust in ourselves. Let's not say, I'll never be shaken because I am secure. What should we do? Verse 8. We should call out to the Lord. We should cry for mercy. We should look at all that we have in the dedication of our house on our royal mountain and we should say, oh, thank you, Father. But for the grace of God go I. This is all of yours. This is not of my hard work. This is not of my doing. Everything I have, everything I have is all of you. And we cry out to the Lord. And what does he do? He turns on the light. He shows us his face. He brings us back into that place of communion. You see, David realises what has happened. And then he says in verse 9, look, 
I'm going away from you. And what's going to be gained? I'm just going to go away. I'm going to be silenced. No one's going to praise you and your glory. No, no, I need to cry out to you. And Lord, you need to be merciful to me. Why? Because your, your anger, it lasts for a moment, but your favour, it lasts for a lifetime. And so verse 10, he cries out to him. Why? Because God is only a cry away. God is only a cry away. And when God hears you cry out, he comes down into the pit and he lifts you up like that little bucket being pulled on a string out of the pit, like the people down in big pit going into the cage and having the big winding gear pull them up. There he is, looking at you, showing you his face and favour and love and blessing and saying that all that is mine is yours and all that you have is a gift from me. You know, there is always mercy, verse 10, we can always say to God, be merciful, and it will never run out. God will never say, I'm sorry, the mercy has run out. I'm sorry there's no more stock of mercy. I'm sorry there's not enough lorries to deliver the mercy. God will never say that. The shelves of God's mercy will never be empty. God in his very being, in his very character, is merciful. The Lord Jesus has died in our place and paid the price and is now in heaven. And do you remember what we learned two weeks ago? We now have an anchor that is firm and secure for the soul in heaven, the Lord Jesus. We can cry out to him and he turns the light on. He shows us his face. Those of you who are watching this that don't know the Lord, however secure you feel you are, However much you think you have earned and made, it can all go. And even if it doesn't all go in this life, that moment when you die, it all goes. It's always the famous question in the funeral, isn't it? How much do they leave behind? The answer, all of it, all of it. Do you know what? There is so much more to life than this world and what we see. And there's so much more to all of those amazing things we have, all of those gifts we have. Do you know what? In the hands of God, as we know him, we can use them for his glory and for something greater. Do you remember the film Gladiator? I love the way Gladiator used to say, what we do in this world echoes into eternity. And it really, really does. Don't you want to live a life that echoes into eternity? The father says he will lift you up by the pit and he will bless you, he will love you. And Christians, don't forget that everything is God's good gift and everything is God's mercy. Don't believe the Abergavenny lie. Don't believe that it is all yours and you have done it. And because you work hard and you are smart, you have everything. It is all a gift of God. It is all his mercy. And look at the result. When we trust in him, what happens, verse 11, we can have our wailing turned to dancing. We can have our sackcloth turned to joy. Isn't that what we want? Don't we want a life of dancing and joy? And what do we do, verse 12? Our hearts will sing the praise. We won't be silenced. 
When we trust in God, no matter what happens, we will never be silenced because it's all of him and we truly are secure in him and we truly will not be shaken in him, even if everything is stripped away. Why? Because he is with us. He has saved us. He is but a cry away. His anger only lasts a moment, his favour a lifetime, and he hears our cry and he comes to love us. And so we can praise him.